What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I am interterrestrial, extraterrestrial, interstellar, none of the above, just Oren. You know, you low-key kind of sound like an alien with that intro because it sounded so monotone. It kind of worked out. (laughs) I'm trying to mimic human emotions. I am mimicking human emotions. Yep. <laughs> so uh, before we hop into everything, of course, we've got a really long, awesome episode with you guys, for you guys today. And uh, just a little bit of foreshadowing for it. Uh, big shout out to uh, Dave, a.k.a. the Snarly Yow, because he was the one that set all this stuff up. Uh, we were and planning on doing this during our presentation when we were out in West Virginia, but just because of ambient noise in the room, everything else like that, we weren't able to actually record it there. So we finally got around to doing it now. Uh, at home, so it had a way better recording quality, but I just wanted to throw in an additional huge thank you to Dave, uh, a.k.a. Snelly Yao, for setting all this stuff up. Uh, friend of the show, Dave. Isn't that like the, the jargon we're supposed to use? Friend of the show, Dave. He is definitely yes. more than a friend of the show. He was even throwing possible nicknames at you I saw in one of the chat groups. He so. was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still workshopping. Uh, so kind of thrown in some news and updates. We have two kind of bigger things kind of happening and I'll share one and Orin will end up sharing the other here. Uh, but we will be doing our very first, well, not first, first, cause we did another one with uh, crypto theology a while back ago, but we'll be doing a t-shirt giveaway and that will be happening if it hasn't already dropped through Instagram and through Facebook. So if anybody's interested in going checking that out, uh, I'll make sure that, you know, you can just follow our social media clips and all that kind of stuff to, or social media links and all that to be able to go and find it and everything. But definitely worth going and checking out if you guys want to possibly pick yourself up a Bizarre Encounters or an Inquiries of Our Reality t-shirt. And another additional side note off of that, there is going to be the one that's on social media and then there's going to be an even bigger exclusive giveaway It's going to be happening on the Patreon. So if you guys are interested in that, at least go check out the Patreon, see what it's all about and figure out which one of the two you would like to get into. And in other news, of course, Oren, please share what our other fantastic news we're working on. So not to give too much away, but we do have a Patreon exclusive kind of episode content situation we're working on. 
so be on the lookout for that. Uh, again, not going to divulge too much right now, but it's coming soon. So. And it should hopefully be a somewhat weekly to bi-weekly thing. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and like we said, it's going to be a Patreon exclusive. We might drop the first episode or two on YouTube and on our normal audio feeds just so you guys can kind of get a feel from it. But beyond that, we're trying to give a little bit more to a Patreon member. So it will exclusively be a Patreon specific show. And as always, you guys know the drill. Reach out to us through social media, through the email, bizarreencounters.outlook.com. Follow us on Discord, TikTok, all that good stuff. You guys know how to get up with us, do the internet things. And Shane, why don't you tell them a little bit about the new encounters email? Yes, if anybody would like to report their own bizarre encounters, be it that it may be extraterrestrial, cryptid, uh, paranormal, or any other weird anomalous weird event, we love to hear about it. So you guys can report your encounters on our link tree, which should be the third tap down. You'll see something that says something along the lines of report your encounter. Or if you guys just want to email us directly because that submission form does go to this email, I did set up a specific email just to be able to take these encounters in. Uh, if you guys are interested in doing that, even if it's something small, uh, you guys can type it out or send us an audio file of it, and then we can kind of discuss whether or not you want it to be shared or if you want it to just keep it with us and you just want us to kind of give you our feedback on it. Uh, if you guys want to email that email, though, it's ommencounterreports at outlook.com. And uh, if anybody's interested in supporting the show in any way, shape, or form, uh, there's three different ways to do so. Well, actually four now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, you guys can go and pick up some awesome merch over there at our Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, we do have designs for Bizarre Encounters. We have designs for Increase of Our Reality. We got some cryptid designs that we're kind of working into the fold. And uh, just kind of an extension off of that, of course, you guys can always go and join the Patreon and you'll get things such as that exclusive show that we're talking about. You'll get early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, uh, exclusive uh, merch store discounts, uh, exclusive giveaways, Patreon-specific shows, uh, a lot of fun stuff, but highly recommend probably going and checking out the Patreon if you're interested in that first before the Open Minds Media merch store, because like I said, you'll get an exclusive discount, so that's definitely a little bit more bang for your buck as far as that goes, on top of also getting two shows all within the same Patreon. And uh, if you guys want to donate to the show directly... Uh, to make it so we can get out to more events, make it so we can meet more of you guys. Uh, you guys can always donate through Red Circle, which is our RSS host for the show. Uh, and if it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, please shoot me a message. Let me know that you donated because I, of course, want to give appreciation where appreciations do. And uh, while we're talking about appreciation, too, the fourth way you guys can support the show is through reviewing or rating the show on iTunes or Spotify or just simply sharing the show through word of mouth. They're awesome ways to help it so that this show can continue to grow. And if you guys are able to do that stuff, we greatly appreciate it. But if not, we just hope that you guys enjoy the show in the process. And uh, another side note, as far as affiliate links go and trying to support our show, if you guys are interested in paranormal investigations, uh, we now have an affiliate link with Chattergeist, which is this all-in-one uh, paranormal investigating device. Uh, if anybody wants to get more information on that, I do have links uh, set up through the Facebook, through the Instagram. And if you guys want to get in contact with the company that makes this directly, you guys can go and hit up uh, Dimension Devices on Instagram. And the guy who runs that account is the specific guy who programmed and set this thing up. So if you guys have any tech questions before you go and buy this awesome device, uh, you guys can hit up him directly and he'll be able to answer just about any question that you guys could possibly have about the Chattergeist. And if y'all are looking for anything else to support, definitely check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's always killing it with his cryptid and alien and high strangeness designs. And if you're listening to this show, you're pretty much going to dig them. So definitely go check that out. And if you guys watch the lives, you'd realize that 90% of my closet 
are Joe's shirts from Crypto Theology. So I not just endorse it, but I literally regularly wear this stuff because I love it so much. And just want to throw that one in there that that's the reason we all got hooked up is because I love it as designed so much that I actually hit him up. So just a cool little side note to throw off on there. And actually, a little other side note is I'm in works and talking with them right now, but it looks like uh, Joe and Lisa from Crypto Theology and from Cryptid Comfort, uh, they do Squonkapalooza, which anybody that's been listening to the show, they know that we were at Squonkapalooza last year. Uh, hopefully this next coming year, Orrin and I will hopefully be speakers there. So if you guys are interested in having another opportunity to come and hear us speak, if you weren't able to make it to West Virginia, then there will be another opportunity and there's going to be a lot more opportunities down the line. So keep watching out for all the new stuff that we're doing because we're going to be speaking at a lot more events. And uh, everything that we've mentioned, of course, is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. So we're uh, super excited for tonight's episode. This is a topic that uh, Shane and I didn't know a whole lot about until uh, we were preparing for Cryptid Halloween 2. Um, so this is, like I said, a topic that we're interested in diving into a little bit deeper and learning more about. So uh, Jesse and Mike, thank you guys so much for being on the show with us tonight. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, super happy to be here. Um, so my name is Jesse. I am the president of the Middleway Conservancy. I have been a resident of Middleway for a little over five years now. Very much enjoyed it. It is that place where you can go to your neighbor for sugar or whatever you need. They will come over and ask you what you're doing on your house to repair things and they're super nosy, but amazing all at the same time. Uh, the good kind of nosy, right? Nosy to be and, helpful. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Usually. Yeah. For like the vast majority, like, Hey, do you need help carrying that? So I certainly really enjoyed it and have no plans of leaving even after I heard about this super fun tale, but, uh, but yeah, so I've been a resident here. I uh, get the pleasure of working from home. So I decided to move out to West Virginia and have really enjoyed that ever since. But yeah. And I'm Mike Kishpoger. Uh, I am a defense intelligence agency analyst by day and a researcher for Astonishing Legends by evening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> another podcast. That's where I got interested in this story, just looking it up for um, show ideas. Um, and, uh, and, I had actually read about it the, uh, during the research for my first book um, that was that chronicled legends from my hometown um, up along the Ohio River. Um, and it was included in the same book as this other legend that I'm very um, fascinated by called the Pig Lady um, from Candleton, Pennsylvania. Um, so, mm. yeah, so those two stories jumped out in this book. Actually, I have it up here. We'll have to dig into that pig story maybe on a future episode because I haven't heard that one before. I'll, I'm going to have to dig into that one a bit. Yeah. yeah. So this book, this book's from the 1977, I think. It's by a folklorist named George Swetnam, very famous folklorist from Pittsburgh. Devils, Ghosts, and Witches, Occult Folklore of the Upper Ohio Valley. I read the whole thing, and those two stories are the ones that stood out for me. So after I finished the Pig Lady book, I had to dive into the wizard clip. Nice. So uh, I guess a good spot to start for everybody, in case nobody has any context on Wizard Clip or what it is to begin with, uh, the best place I feel is to kind of lay down the original story and then we can kind of expand from there. So whoever uh, wants to go and kind of tell the original story and you guys can kind of bounce in with each other and throw in additional details if you need to, I uh, guess you guys have the stage. Well, Jesse is, uh, is the real expert, so I'll let her lead off. <laughs> like we argued, I mean, you wrote the book on it. I've just heard, it's all hearsay on my end, but... Uh, you know, like one of the things with, I actually have a degree in history and, 
you take all the accounts from different people and you kind of piece together what like what overlaps and usually keep those. And of course, for good storytelling, you can always add in the fun parts that you find. But um, I guess it's best to go ahead and just start with a story that I've been told, right? Oh, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, kind of lay down the groundwork okay. at least. All right. So it's it's one of those things wherever I do tours or meet new neighbors and try to scare them a little bit, you know, break them in right away is I'm like, do you want the G version or are we going all the way to R? How are we feeling right now? And so, you know, in terms of the most overlapping story, we're looking at a nice PG, PG 13 level. Uh, but like any good story, it's a dark and stormy night, right? So it's a dark and stormy night in 1794. And, or actually, I think it was a couple of years before that. So, because the, I'm going to totally mess up this whole story now that I'm on this podcast. <laughs> the marker, that's all, the marker in Witherway says it starts in 1794. So you're right. It does start. Actually, all of the t-shirts and everything we have say 1794. But see, now I, I have the joy of, of reading Mike's book. So my, my thing is, I'm like, oh, maybe it was a few years before this where it started and then ended. But Anyways, I'll go with what I know. We can All call right, it approximate, so it's not exact, yeah, but it, it's around that day. 1794, dark and stormy night, and people at this point are super hospitable to strangers. Middleway is pretty much in the middle of the way of a lot of places. At the time, it was called Smithfield, which was awfully confusing because as Virginia at the time, there was already another Smithfield in uh, towards Hampton Roads and... Um, so they ended up calling it Middleway in many times, or I, mean, I guess in many places. And so, um, this stranger comes through and he knocks on Adam Livingston's door, who is right outside of, I would say the main part of Middleway. Right. And so he's on the other side of the bridge and he, this guy knocks on the door and Adam comes down to open it and greets him and, the man says he's been traveling a long time. He can't keep going. Can he have rest at this house? And so he lets him in. Not something you would do nowadays, but in the case in this period, I guess the storm must have been really bad because he did let him in. And so they put this gentleman up in his in the guest bedroom in the house. And so at that point, the man starts becoming pretty ill. And towards the middle of the night, he realizes that he's pretty much caught his death and he's not going to be able to make it and he's going to pass sometime in the night. And so he wakes up the Livingston household and asks, asks Adam Livingston to bring a priest in to read him his last rites. And Adam Livingston at the time was a Protestant and refused. Granted, I don't fault him necessarily uh the closest priest was pretty far away again the traveler didn't want to go any further because of the weather so i'm not sure adam livingston would have wanted to travel too much at the time either but i digress so he ends up saying no i'm not bringing a priest here and the gentleman passes away uh they end up burying him unceremoniously outside of the home and in my favorite telling of the story, as soon as the stranger passes away, all the candles in the room instantly go out. Like they've all been, they go up to the candles and it's not like someone blew them out. They've actually, the wicks have been completely cut off. 
And so that's one of the first instances where we hear of things being cut, right? And so that's when the haunting starts. So they wake up the next morning, they bury the stranger, and they start hearing sounds of like shears in their ears. Um, There's logs that are on fire jumping out of the fireplaces. They're going outside and hearing animals stampeding towards them only to turn around to hear nothing or to see nothing's actually there. You're going to go outside and you're going to find that your animals have been killed. Their throats have been slit. It gets pretty graphic. And the first thing um, that Adam Livingston does is go to the minister in town. The minister in town comes in and goes to bless the home and isn't able to go through with it. He actually is haunted himself. So he is basically having um, this poltergeist, this ghost terrorize this poor, this poor uh, minister out. And so Adam ends up calling a couple different ones around the area. And this poltergeist is rid of to no avail. And so eventually he goes insane enough my favorite story is that his wife finally convinced him to do it. Cause she's like, I'm leaving with the kids. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't, you can stay here and go crazy all by yourself. And so in one story, she goes and stays with her family that I've heard at, and they live uh, a several miles away. Um, but in other stories, they actually all end up staying together. And eventually they all go crazy enough to hit some point. And since, you know, at the time it's patriarchal and Adam Livingston's the head of the household, he finally has had enough and he calls a priest. And so the priest comes in and is able to witness all of these things happening, which most notable is crescent moons being cut out of everything. And so when you come to Middleway, you're going to see a lot of crescent moons and scissors everywhere. And we get the question a lot of what does that mean? And it all goes back to wizard clip. And so the man calls the priest. But before that, we have really interesting stories where people are coming in because they are hearing about all this going on. Right. And they want to witness it themselves. And one lady comes in and she thinks she is so cunning. She comes in with a brand new piece of clothing. She wraps it up in silk. And she puts it in her pocket. There's no way anything's going to happen to that, right? Well, she ends up walking out of the house, witnessing some of these things happening, thinking she's definitely gotten one over on this ghost and walks out only to open everything up to find that her new piece, I think it was a bonnet or a cap, ends up being just cut into shreds, right? And so... um, that's one of the fun stories that happened where all these people tried to see if they could best this ghost and prove that it wasn't real. And it didn't work, uh, which is one of the most eerie parts of this tale. And it gets a little bit creepier. So Adam Livingston brings in the priest and he is able to bless the home. The Catholic priest is able to bless the home and everything quiets down. It's nice and quiet. And they think everything's good to go. Everything's fine. But wait, there's more. So several years later, it starts happening again. 
it starts slowly increasing and building back up to the point where the family is once again at their wits end and the priest doesn't know what to do. So he actually ends up calling in another priest. And I'm going to let Mike tell the names of these people because I always end up wanting to butcher them. And so I'd rather him do it than me. But <laughs> he calls in another priest and they're actually both able to go in and hold a mass. And they hold a mass with the family and they share that space together. And at that point, that's when all of the haunting, the clipping, the murdering of animals stops. And so Middleway is known for Wizard Clip. It used to, I actually had someone down the street say that I lived, that I was a clipper and I had, it kind of caught me off guard because I spread that that's what Middleway um, villagers were called. And so it was kind of fun to have someone who was, you know, a little bit older call me that. And I'm like, that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we were, it was called Clip Town. Again, we didn't set ourselves up really well, calling ourselves Smithfield and mixing up those two <laughs> names. So one of the names ended up being um, Clip Town and, or just Clip West, or I guess it'd be Virginia at the time. But yeah, then the villagers were called Clippers. And so um, after the poltergeist ghost is rid of, Adam Livingston ends up converting and becomes Catholic. And then at his death actually wills a good chunk of his land to the Catholic church. And like I said, this is where it gets a little too, too weird for it to not be some, there's some truth in all of this somewhere is that land that was donated to the Catholic church is actually still there. And it's called Priestfield. And I could drive to it right now and I'd be there in three minutes. You can actually walk to where they have a statue of the stranger there to thank him for donating the land to them. And yeah, it's a, it's a retreat center now. And so it's pretty interesting that that's also connected and still exists. And there's a, a trace back to it, but yeah, they have even um, uh, the experiences of both of those priests written down. And so there's even letters from, you know, the Adam Livingston's wife. So it's pretty interesting that there's those accounts of their experiences. And I think that's what kind of sends a chill up a lot of people's spine um, with how well connected it is. So that is my very brief, many stories of it put together from, from what I've heard. But yes, that's the gist of it. Say that name completely makes a lot more sense now. I was kind of curious where the wizard part came in. I was almost wondering yeah. if they were like theorizing that this stranger that came in was like a wizard or something. And maybe that mm -hmm. was kind of where the name came from. But yeah, the clip part yeah. makes sense now. <laughs> the clip part. It is a really interesting name, Wizard Clip. It always kind of felt off to me, but I understood it a little bit better when I heard the story. But, you know, wizard can, if you look back at that time period, can mean a lot of different things. It can mean someone who's wise. It can mean someone who's wise enough to be able to conjure magic. You know, some instances, it means that it's someone who's actually not that intelligent. So it's, which one is it? I don't know. Probably the former, I would imagine. But yeah. Well, I have a theory. Yeah. Um, in the 1790s, when this allegedly happened, um, there was a very different understanding of the spiritual realm between Protestant faiths and Catholics. Catholics believed in, and still do, believe in purgatory and the ability for spirits to affect day-to-day -day lives from purgatory. Um, whereas Protestants believed once you died, 
you either went straight to heaven or straight to hell. There was no such thing as a ghost. It had to be a demon conjured by a wizard or witch or warlock that was attacking you. So Wizard Clip in the very Protestant town of Middleway suggests to me that the villagers first thought and probably initially probably thought afterward too that it was a it was witchcraft it was conjuring that was causing the Livestons to be assaulted uh, spiritually. That was kind of the intention that I was getting was that if they didn't necessarily believe in the ghost, I mean, because it seems like the guy who had passed away, assumably there's going to be some type of anger link, link to it. And there's two ways of looking at it, of course. It's either if you're looking at it from the Protestant view of it, then before this guy actually died, he may have like conjured something that would kind of take over after he passed. But if you're looking at it from like the Catholic perspective, then the assumed idea is that this guy's spirit was the thing that was haunting it. Um, but either way, I mean, I'm kind of curious also where like the crescent moon kind of concept comes in too. I wonder if that kind of links in with like the wizard or if there was some type of like symbolic reason why there was, there was the crescent moon. Yeah. I never found a reason for that. I, I, I looked yeah. hard. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Symbology is definitely there, but I, that's never really talked about in any of the histories. Yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of wish you knew exactly what day it was. And so you could go back and see what the phase of the moon was. And maybe that's what had something to do with it. But, you know, there's um, definitely from things I've read, it wasn't always necessarily a crescent. It could have been a half moon or and so I don't it kind of gets a little fuzzy therein. But but yeah, I've actually done um, my own research into trying to figuring out why it was a crescent moon, what the symbolism in that time period was. And honestly, as someone who has done a little bit of, of research and, and whatnot into it, it's really not that apparent. And there's not really many other, there's not really any cases that I can find of crescent moons being cut out of something or it having to do with anything in the Catholic religion or Protestant religion. Really, it's actually other faiths that have to deal with moons, which wouldn't have been honestly applicable to this story at all. So it's really kind of an anomaly. It always struck me as odd. Jesse left out a lot of um, things that I did before it started clipping things. It was, it had to be terrifying if this was a real thing, because it was. I mean, it would throw stones at you. It would um, tear pieces of the roof off and throw them at you. It would catch things on fire, catch your bed on fire while you're sleeping in it. <laughs> um, it would decapitate decapitate animals as they're walking through the yard right in front of you, um, and then. It started playing with scissors for some reason. I was like, man, you came all the way from a hell conjured by a witch and you're running around clipping little shapes out of your people's clothes. That's not really scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said at the start of the show, you know, I wasn't really familiar with this story at all until, you know, we were planning to go to West Virginia. And so I started digging into it a little bit, just, you know, what I could find on the Internet pretty much. And something that I thought was kind of interesting, because uh, as I was looking uh, up all the wizard clip information. I was also kind of doing research and working on our presentation for Cryptid Halloween 2, which was about the Snarly Owl. And something I came across uh, in doing that research was traditionally in you know this same area, um, it was thought that if a pair of scissors were opened to kind of like resemble a cross and like put you know on the front door of a house, that would keep the Snarly Owl away. So I thought that was kind of a weird connection between scissors and these two things in the same area, uh, both of which I had you know never even heard of until a few months ago. So um, do you guys have any 
information or have you come across anything like that in your research? No, I sure haven't. I, that's pretty interesting. Um, I need to get more familiar with the Snarly Yow. I'm, I'm still waiting on, on my friend who was in charge of that um, event to, to fill me in on his version of it. But no, that's pretty interesting. The open scissors is representing a cross is a new one for me. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. Uh, you know, just like you said, the the scissor symbology showing up in these two kind of high strangeness tales in the same area. I mean, it could be all be symbolic of destroying something with a cross. Maybe that was kind of how the whole scissors kind of concept came in is that you have the cross, but then you invert it and twist it a little bit. And then it creates this device that you can, you know, essentially harm things with. I wonder if that was kind of the symbology behind it was the fact that he was intending on like taking the cross and then using that to like cause harm to people and different things. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I, say, I can go back in the timeline of it. it. So the first, I think that it started around 1791, 1790-ish around there. Um, and the haunting went on for a few years before uh, Adam Livingston, who was a Lutheran, um, and his family was Lutheran, uh, started looking for spiritual help. Um, the first organization he went to was his Lutheran church in Winchester. And the uh, pastor there, uh, his name was Street, um, he basically said, uh, "You're somebody's messing with you. It's, he, 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 he wouldn't even come to the house to look. He'd just like, go back home and find out, watch and find out which neighbor's playing a prank on you. Um, so he didn't get any help from the Lutherans. Um, when the hauntings kept going, he went next to an Episcopalian uh, minister. Uh, his name was Ballman, if I remember right, Reverend Ballman. And he tried to perform an exorcism. He tried to perform the first exorcism of the house, and he was uh, chased away by um, um, fire, shooting out of the fireplace. Um, and his at one point, his prayer book was taken from him and shoved into a chamber pot, which is a the 1790s toilet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so he ran, he, he, he got run out. Next was a group of Methodists. And I think they were from the town. Um, yeah. Methodists, um, the Methodists didn't even get into the house before a hail of stones got thrown at him and they just got pelted and ran away. Um, and then the next group he went to before he even went to the Catholic church was um, conjurers, uh, folk medicine practitioners in the South Mountain area in Maryland. And they came and um, tried to tack up riddles and Seder squares, things like that. Um, maybe that's where something like the, the scissors hung on a door thing came from. Um, but um, the same thing happened to their stuff. Their, their riddles and charms were found in the chamber pot the next day. Um, and that's all before the, the Catholics even got involved. Yeah. So you had to imagine it was very much, yeah, no, Adam Livingston was not about to go out even during the daylight to go and get the priest for that poor man. So, um, yeah, definitely opposed. So it was interesting that, uh, a good chunk of middle way now is owned by the Catholic church. I kind of find it funny that he seemed to have purposely went out of his way to like spite this guy because of everything he was doing to try to go for any other option besides the fate that he wanted it to be. And also kind of funny, like you said, that that land is attached to them now. And maybe that was kind of like what 
quieted everything was the fact that they fi- he finally started to take his religion into consideration. And after that, he was like, all right, this guy donated to my church. Like, we're good now. We're even. You you owe me a life debt. You now got land for, for my faith. So it is what it is. I, I'm done. I'm leaving or <laughs> I'm hanging out around here and I'm just not causing any more damage. <laughs> and, and Adam converted to Catholicism. Yeah. Right after. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting too, and Mike, you can completely correct me if I'm wrong. Again, you did all the history digging on this one. I'm just going by hearsay and all that fun stuff. But, you know, even the wife ended up writing a, um, a note long after this haunting had ended and said that it actually hadn't stopped. So she, you're, you're, ha- you're mostly correct. She wrote a letter um, a year um, after the exorcism saying that it was still happening. And she was also opposed to the donation of the land to the Catholic Church. So she was fighting. She was saying that they were still haunted and, you know, whatever the priest did didn't work. And uh, that that uh, she didn't think that they should give their land away. Um, it was 35, 34 acres of his 350 ad. So it was just a small portion. But still, she was pretty irritated about it. She got into like a 1790s era Twitter battle <laughs> in the newspaper <laughs> with a priest. So they're writing letters back and forth. Um he called her a hussy at one point. It was yeah, it got pretty nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another side question off of this too: Was there any other like encounters that kind of like trickle in after everything, or did it come to like a complete stop? Like, was there even people that maybe were trying to just stir something up so that they could bring in like tourism or anything, or was it just like a hard stop at a certain point? The hard there is a hard stop, but you wouldn't. <laughs> this is probably the longest paranormal event. Um, recorded um, so it started around 1791 and it didn't end until around 1815 um, the, the exorcism happened in 1797 but right after that something different appeared if if you believe it was something different um, some of, some folks would say the haunting never stopped it just transformed but a disembodied voice showed up um, beginning in 1797 and um the Catholic versions will tell you it's was, you know, it was always helpful and it was, you know, be- had a beautiful singing voice and it would guide them in prayers and it taught them how to be great Catholics. But it also would, sh- it, well, at one point it shattered a mirror in front of the two girls, two daughters, because it thought that they were um, being immodest with some dresses that they were trying on. Um, so it, it would berate them constantly. Um, it physically would, would, punch Adam when he did things wrong. Um, so I, I don't know how I would claim that that's helpful. <laughs> it would keep them up all night long demanding prayers um, three hours a night, um, usually starting at three in the morning for some reason. Um, yeah, so it's, and it stuck around for 17 years after the exorcism. So it seems like this thing is 100% based in Catholic faith and it was, of course, nice to the Catholics, but anybody else, it went out of its way to try to convert them or try to get them to become Catholic. So that kind of leads a little bit more credence into the fact that this may not have necessarily been something conjured, but actually the spirit of the original stranger himself. Maybe. I, I don't actually think there was a stranger. I think that was made up. Um, it, there, it, there was a, there, well, there was a, a stranger that died. There was definitely a stranger, um, the Reverend Glitzen, one of the exorcists, wrote about him. Um, it was an Irish Catholic traveler that 
stayed with him a few nights during the poltergeist events um, before it started to talk. And uh, he was so freaked out. He said, you really should get a priest. And, and Adam said, no way in hell. Um, and the Irish Catholic went on his way and the next day. He didn't die. Um, that came in later. I think it was a plot fix for the story for, you know, when, when folks were telling it later on to make it uh, make a reason for the, the haunting to begin because the versions before that, there was no reason. It just started. So uh, maybe I'm going a bit out on a limb with this, but um, kind of spoiler alert for the listeners. Um, I'm working on a episode on the bell, Witch, which, you know, was a haunting that happened in um, Tennessee. So not super far from where we're talking about still kind of the Appalachian region. And it seems like there's a lot of similarities between the two hauntings. Um, and like I said, I'm just kind of diving into this now, so I'm by no means an expert. But it kind of struck me, uh, you know, I, I started looking into the wizard clip stuff first, and then these same kind of hallmarks were popping up in the Bell Witch story. And again, kind of bringing it back around to this general area, what I thought was interesting is, you know, the Bell Witch was this same kind of like poltergeisty type activity that was happening. But when it initially manifested, showed up, whatever you want to call it, it appeared in the form of a big black dog. So here we are again, kind of bringing like the snarly yow and all this stuff together. So um, I, I don't know if I really had a question or anything, just like some strange things I've noticed and like connections to other paranormal hauntings, what have you. So um, I just kind of wanted to throw that in there before I forgot. Yeah, um, I'm glad you noticed that because that's the reason why I wrote the book. Really? Um, yeah, I was wow. trying to figure out why the Bell Witch legend was so closely related to um, Wizard Clip. And then in researching those two, I found another one from Scotland that's very, very similar, also called the Devil of Glenluce. Okay. Um, and so... So the theories that I put out in the book, you know, most likely this folklore traveled with migrants um, and then just adapted to the region that they were in. Um, I got very excited about the the bell connection when I started looking into the land deeds. Um, so, of course, Adam Livingston donated 34 acres of his property to the Reverend Dennis Cahill and thanks for the exorcism and converting him to Catholicism. Um, and that happened in 1802. Well, in 1809, he sold the rest of his land. Remember, the property was originally 350 acres. So he sold the rest of his land in 1809 to two brothers named Bell. Hmm. And that was, what, uh, six years before the Bell Witch hunting started? Wow. Yeah. So, um, But I hired a genealogist to look into it, and she says that they're not related to the Tennessee author. <laughs> Bells. Well, something that just popped in my head while you were telling that story, um, I discovered this through the series Hellier, but uh, they talk about like the idea of power names and like these power names tend to have a lot of high strangeness activity associated with them. And Bell is one of those power names. Um, so yeah. I hadn't even thought about that till you know you were just speaking now. So uh, it seems like there's a lot of connections between a lot of stuff going on in these hauntings. You could say yeah, it, it rings out with power. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the uh, Hydesville incident with the the Fox sisters? Um, a little bit. Like I don't know uh, much of the detail. I mean, I know the general outline, but not uh, 
not it really any too deep into the details. Those two sisters basically formed what the spiritualism movement began mm-hmm. in 1848, and they started off their incident started off with the poltergeist haunting in their home as well, um, and uh, it eventually got to the point where they could communicate with it. It never spoke, but they could talk to it by um, table wrapping. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they finally asked, they started asking why it was haunting them. Um, and it said it was a murder victim that was buried in the basement of the oh, house. Wow. And they asked who caused their, that person's murder. And he said, John Bell. Hmm. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty wild. weird, isn't it? Right. No, I need to dig into that one some more too. <laughs> yeah. So it was a different John Bell, one in New York, but still, it's strange how the coincidence of the name. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I was even going to throw into the fold that the whole Appalachian area seems to have all this like ancient power that's kind of linked all around it to begin with. And considering it seems like with a lot of this stuff, especially like the Bell Witch uh, with Wizard Clip, I'm assuming that these were some of like the first people to be in these areas, especially since you said it was like late 1800s, early, uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. So a lot of people get into the whole idea about like tricksters and like elemental spirits. And it kind of seems like there's somewhat of like a crossover that happens in the process of that. I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that they were elemental spirits that were trying to play games with these people intending hopefully for them to leave these areas completely and rather than actually leaving the areas it ended up sparking up a fascination and they ended up drawing more attention to themselves rather than actually pushing these people away from the areas but maybe that's like the connecting factor between all of them and the snarly yow is that maybe there's some type of like trickster elemental spirits that were all from the get-go just trying to get these people away from their area, especially with all the ancient being lore that exists within Appalachia to begin with. Well, you have to remember that there were um, indigenous people here first, right? And so a lot of people have gotten, a lot of um, uh, Native Americans had gotten pushed if they were on the East Coast towards the mountains where there was already indigenous people. And a lot of Irish Catholics and uh, just general Irish came to Appalachia as well, right? And so it is very interesting that there is a lot of cryptids and lore and all kinds of stuff that happens right along the the mountains, right? And so I don't know. I always found it quite interesting that um, you know there was a high Indian population here as well, and you know there's a lot of spiritualism within um, within their belief systems too. And so you have to wonder if some of that got intermingled as well. Middleway specifically was one of the reasons that it got named Middleway. Not was, was not only because it was between major crossing points right in the middle, but it was actually originally one of the reasons it was named that, excuse me, was because it was in the middle of a way, a lot of a lot of native American trails too, that were crossing paths. And so we're very much in the middle of everything, this town, <laughs> including before it was settled by John Smith. And that would have been right around 1734 is when the town was founded. And so, you know, within only, uh, you know, a handful of decades, we had our first occurrence of a poltergeist. And so, um, you know, it's one of the first ones that we really have on record here in um the U.S. and I guess it would have been the colonies at that point, but yeah, it's the yeah. first on record for the um, after the U.S. was formed for sure. Because uh, yeah. if, if it, you know, if, if, just just take your year, seventeen ninety four. That would have been in George Washington's second term in office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's definitely one of the oldest um, older guys stories. But I I do think there's something to be said about the Scotch Irish influence in the area, um, especially if you look into the Devil of Glenlu story. Um, it's virtually identical to the wizard clip down to the clipping and the beds burning and the barns burning and stuff like that it's just a different um they call it a devil because it was mainly a product mainly a presbyterian community there so they couldn't call it a ghost um and so if those stories came over with immigrants you can see how they might have adapted it to their own region mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. telling stories around campfires and stuff like that um i do think the catholic church used it um for propaganda purposes um because at the time there was a lot of prejudice between the two you know right now we're more ecumenical times we're in more ecumenical times where catholics and protestants get along but in the 1790s they did not at all <laughs> and um so if you could claim that you were this priest who was so powerful that you could um banished spirits that were attacking Lutherans, especially Lutherans, because Martin Luther was the first to, <laughs> to rebel against the foreign Protestantism. Um, you, and you can convert them to come to your church. That would uh, be a powerful message to the rest of the community, especially your own um, congregation. Do you think that there's uh, any possibility that maybe some of these events may have been like physically hoaxed rather than just like through storytelling, but like physically hoaxed by the other church, hoping to hopefully like convert a whole community so that maybe they could kind of like spread their reach a little bit more. So in the book, I talk about um, two Catholic priests that believed wholeheartedly it was real. Everything that they talked, one of them investigated it for three months for the bishop before they would even, he would authorize the uh, exorcism. So he, you know, had to write reports back about it. Um, but then I also talk about this other Catholic priest that came a year later who believed it was a hoax. So there's both sides from the same church. I mean, if you get into the more spiritual side of it, too, it seems to be a reoccurring thing as far as like native curses, as far as like pushing people off the land, like even getting into another West Virginia thing. You talk about Mothman and, you know, there's a lot of different angles that people come out with that. But one of them is the whole Chief Cornstalk angle where he basically cursed the land because of them killing him. And I think it was his son or it was some other family member of his. But. I mean, if you get into like the whole woo woo aspect of it, of course, when you're looking at it from like the the Protestant Christian, the, the ones that believe in like God kind of perspective, they're always going to throw like the demon title on all of this native American stuff. But when it comes down to it, it seems like there's a reoccurring moniker as far as like, you know, Snarly Yow, for example, in the, in Mothman having these, uh, all being all black with red eyes. And then this thing never actually like physically like showing itself more of like a poltergeist, like bell, Witch, for example, it kind of makes you wonder if there is the possibility of there being like these native curses, if it's rather that like they summon something and it kind of like picks a form depending on how it wants to go about dealing with the task. And maybe all of these things are somewhat the same type of phenomenon happening, but it's just different ways of the phenomenon showing itself, which seems to be a pretty common thing that we talk about on the show is, but it's different perspectives from different groups of people that they see these things differently. And it kind of makes you wonder if it's just a matter of people telling the story or if it's a way that these different types of beings and entities are able to project themselves to different groups of people. It's an interesting theory. I can say it, it None of the stories, even the Bell Witch, ever manifested to, to, so you could see it, right? You could, 
I remember her arguing Kate Batts which um, trying to some one person was trying to shake its hand so they see they could see an arm at one point and that that triggered um, me to look deep deeper into the other two uh, pieces of folklore and it was interesting to find that both of them the wizard clip the wizard clips occasionally it, a flaming hand and arm would show would appear and it would burn things um, and then it would also punch Adam Livingston for some reason um, and then the devil Glenn loose um, an arm would appear and but it was super big and it would uh, beat the floor the the um, the dirt floor of the house they were in so hard that it would shake the whole house um, and I just thought I, I never could figure out why all three of these stories which are so similar you never actually saw the thing other than its arm it's strange I mean you get into like a lot of the native stuff too and you kind of dig into it and there's like kind of like this underlying like possible like portal slash like veil concept so I mean Orn and I talk about it all the time on the show that the whole idea about um I guess you could say like psychic type powers and for a lot of people that don't want to believe in that, I always say this on the show regularly that like even the government is was and is still looking into all this type of stuff. And part of that, I assume, would be the fact that you could be right in front of somebody and possibly be able to like change their perception and not see you at all. And maybe if the natives were capable of doing this, it was rather that, again, they were kind of choosing what they wanted to be to these people. And if they only wanted you to see their hand, then you're going to see their hand. If they only wanted you to see a dog in the way, then you're only going to see a dog. And it just kind of like transcends from there that it's just a matter of maybe somebody trying to push people off the land again, but using, uh, I guess you could say like psychic abilities possibly to try to do so. Could be. Um, like, like I said, the devil of Glenluce happened in uh, Glenluce, Scotland though. And it did the same thing there. I mean, there could be the underlying backstory to that, too, because even connecting sure. in another thing with like English with old folklore from like Europe too, um, Snarly Yao versus uh, Black Shuck, for example. Black Shuck happened back in the 1500s. Snarly Yao obviously didn't happen until like 1800s and going on past that. Uh, so, I mean, there's still like the underlying aspect of these stories where if these stories existed and possibly even the natives even knew about them or again, just carried on stories from Europe again. Um, they get relayed over this new filter in this new land. And there's a lot of different theories that people say where if these things are something paranormal that travel in the spiritual, that rather than people just carrying over the folklore, it may have been that they mentally and spiritually brought these things over with them. And then you kind of have this weird conversion convergence where there's like native backing to a lot of these stories, but there's also the European backing of the stories. So it kind of makes you wonder like where it all kind of comes into play together because like you still hear about dog tales from the natives. You hear about like uh, disembodied voices coming from the natives. And then again, you hear the same things happening in Europe and maybe it's just kind of like an archetypal idea or maybe there's a little bit of something to it where it was like a blending of ideas because it was something that was common between these two and it's hard to exactly know where they started at because at least with the european stuff they were documenting a lot of stuff where the natives a lot of their story was through oral tradition so it's like hard to date back which story goes back the farthest but i think that there's there's equal stories on both sides and i mean either one it just could be because it's just stories that are i don't know i guess the easiest thing to grasp for when you're trying to retell stories or maybe it kind of shows that these things could exist all around the world if you do believe in like the spiritual and the woo-woo side of it that isn't necessarily just one um background specific yeah i think it's equally fascinating that um 
both of these stories, uh, at least the American stories, right? They they have um, witchcraft type names, you know, Wizard Clip and and the Bell Witch. Um, so I'm a, I'm very convinced that when they were happening, um, or when the storytellers were developing the stories, whichever you believe, that everyone thought it was witchcraft. It was caused by necromancy. Um, but because they didn't become popular until the uh, 1890s, um, so I think Emory Ingram's book was written in 1894, and um, the, the Mystery of the Wizard Clip was written by Reverend Frenati in 1879. That's right at the height of spiritualism when um, Americans were really getting into the idea of poltergeist. And they just, they, that, that's the reason why now we think them of these events as being in poltergeist uh, ghost stories. I don't think that they were ghost stories to the folks that it happened to. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, no. And I think one thing too, to think about and kind of taking it a- away from the spiritual side a little bit is the, and I'm hoping that I'm not going to get rocks thrown through my <laughs> windows at this comment. <laughs> I know. All of a sudden, all the chickens' heads are going to get cut off and weather clips going to come back. But, but no, I mean, historically, the Catholic Church has been known for taking someone else's belief system and matching it as close as possible to what they have, right? And willing to change saint days to match up. So, like, you know, we have the Druids, right? And all, like, all of their holidays were matched up with a saint's holiday, right? much easier to convert over. There's a lot more that goes into that, but to keep it short, you know, that eventually changed, right? But the Druids were an incredibly spiritual um, religion and group of people, right? And so that stuff still passes down. You get them migrating over to the United States. They come to Appalachia. You meet the spiritualism of Native Americans, Irish, and all of their fun stories from um from ireland and their spiritualism that they have dated back from history even though the catholic churches kind of matched over them and you kind of have to wonder like in this story now obviously we are making a much smaller comparison here but if there is a story that matches super closely over across the sea and they know it worked Maybe they could try it again here and see what 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 kind of foothold they could get within this group of people too. Especially with what Mike was saying, there was, like you can hear in the story, there was multiple um, ministers and coming to this house and not doing a single thing about this poltergeist until a Catholic walked into the threshold of the house, right? And so it is kind of one of those things you have to think of as interesting. I. I certainly would love to believe in the spiritualism of it. And I've had my own experiences here in town and love doing ghost stories and hearing other people's experiences. But it's one of those where it's, it's so like closely tied to what you can still go to, to like Priestfield and whatnot that you kind of have to just, it's a little suspicious. It's a quite, quite a lot suspicious (laughs) Of, of some people having their hand in these things happening. Now how they did it, and now that took some serious, uh, um, I guess, technique abilities to be able to make some of those things happen. I mean, unless someone's making it up for a good story around a campfire, uh, but 
ultimately, I mean, I really, I think they wanted to get their, their foothold in, in this area and weren't making much, much headway. And so they had to come up with something and middleway at the time, if you come here now, we're super tiny and there's not too much going on, although we'd love to change that. But back in the day, like this was essentially like your main city coming through here. I mean, we had three doctors, we had everything you needed. And so this was a hub of activity. So to have gotten your foothold in, in this place would have, one, the story is going to pass through because there's people, again, middle way. There are travelers coming through here. You're getting your shoes fixed. You're getting something like every, we had every kind of tradesman here, right? And so you could get everything you needed fixed before you kept on the journey. So you've got tons of people traveling in all different directions carrying this story. It's a place where, you know, there's just a lot going on at the time. Again, not today, but back then, main hub of activity for this area, right? And so I think that's one thing is when you have to contextualize the the time period and where and when the story happened. It was definitely a lot of activity and um, I guess a lot of a lot of movement would be would be happening. I'm glad that you actually I actually mentioned that too because uh, Orrin and I were doing some research and I'll let Orrin kind of fill the listeners in a little bit on it because he dug a little bit more into it. But you have like the wizard story of that turning into a dog in Maryland and then you have the Snarly Yow story in West Virginia and then you have this story in West Virginia. And since you said it was like a middle crossing ground where everybody kind of intermixed with each other, I almost kind of wonder if it was like you took multiple stories and people to play telephone with it, took the pieces they liked of this one, pieces they liked of this one. And it just kind of intermixed and turned into a handful of different stories in the same area that have some of the same kind of ideas and bullet points to them. But the only reason that happened is because of all this middle crossing happening in Middletown. And it's like a cluster of all these different stories and people, yeah, just play telephone and chose what pieces of each of these different stories they wanted to kind of converge together to create their own folklore. And then that spread out to different regions. And that could possibly be where the whole, uh, bell witch concept came in is that somebody took it over that way with taking part of this story and part of this story. And then the wizard from Maryland could also be the reason why the word wizard gets used in the wizard clip story. Yeah, I thought about that as well. Um, so just a little bit of background for the listeners. I'm sure both of you guys are familiar, but um, I think it was in the 1700s. There's this guy in the South Mountain area of Maryland. Uh, his name was Michael Ziddle Jr. And he was known as the Wizard of South Mountain. And he was said to be in possession of this like ancient German spell book. And um, there was... This monument, uh, Washington Monument, it's Washington Monument State Park now, uh, that was built on his family's land. And it's been theorized that, you know, he used this tower, this monument, what have you, to conduct magical occult rituals that somehow summoned or opened a portal for these black dog-like creatures. So uh, just a little bit of background for the listeners. But yeah, Shane, I did also notice that parallel similarity, whatever you want to call it, between this wizard terminology and all this same type of activity in this area. Well, isn't that interesting that Adam Livingston went to visit a conjurer in the South Mountain to get help? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, when you said South Mountain earlier, that's the first thing I thought of. See, I've been thinking about this since then, too. Him and I are thinking on the same wavelength on this one, especially when you use the word wizard. Am I instantly associated with the wizard from Maryland? 
Hmm. Yeah. And so Middleway was on the Great Wagon Road. It was basically the first national highway. It was built from all the way from Philadelphia down to Georgia. And there were a couple places where you could go across the mountains. Um, one of them being near um, Middleway. Um, and it would go into Kentucky. And then another further south would go into Tennessee. But yeah, it was that Middleway was right on basically the super highway, the one super highway we had at that time. And uh, of course, I know that you brought it up, Jesse, saying that you have your own Wizard Clip stories and some other stories from the locals. And I mean, if, theoretically, if it did all stop or if people are just kind of building up on stuff or maybe people are messing around with other stuff, that kind of goes into the whole concept, too, of using the word wizard. Because I was thinking that whole slit of hand concept like a magician and a magician and a wizard are kind of along the same lines. So, again, that could have been where it came in, too, was the wizard wizard clip concept is that it was somebody that was using sleight of hand in order to be able to pull over these things on people too. And I mean, that could still be happening in the present day too. Um, even if it's just like one local that wants to bring tourism back into the town, for example, I mean, there could possibly even be somebody using this sleight of hand concept to try to lure people back in, you know, <laughs> that would be very specifically be me. <laughs> we caught you red handed. <laughs> I know, I promise, if anyone's listening in Middleway, I am not the one actively terrifying you, I promise. I'm just trying to bring some people into town and get everything back up and running, I promise. Not trying to do anything too creepy other than ghost tours and stuff like that. My publicist yeah. came up with a similar idea. I kind of liked it. I found no evidence for it, but um, in the book I write about one of the reasons why Adam might have moved from... Pennsylvania is because of the Gradual Abolition Act, which in Pennsylvania was getting rid of all of slavery in that state. Um, and Adam owned enslaved people. And she moved to Virginia where that wasn't going to be a problem. Um, so her theory was that it was the enslaved people that were mad that were going to be freed managed to cause the, you know, him to think he was being haunted. No evidence for this whatsoever, but I just like the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not too much evidence of of the whole story, right? Other than what's been passed down. But yeah, no, it's definitely something of interesting of interest to consider. Excuse me. I mean, yeah, definitely yeah. worth haunting them for sure. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't blame them at all. There's one piece of physical evidence left over. It's at Georgetown University. Um, is a cradle that was um, had a, a baby, a neighbor's baby, laying in it when the poltergeist happened. T activity was at its height, and um, it started rocking violently and trying to harm the child. Um, and that cradle is still at Georgetown. Hmm. This is going to sound like kind of a weird question, but kind of going into what you were saying as far as like slaves possibly messing with people, um, did a lot of this activity happen at night? Because not trying to like necessarily lay in any like bad undertones on it, but it could be like a telephone thing saying that they couldn't see them, meaning that they couldn't see like the African slaves at night kind of a thing. Yeah, most of the activity happened at night. I'm not. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of that happened during the day were the chicken, the flock of ducks that flew in and all the other heads fell off as soon as they landed. Um, and then... Um, the Teamsters, so that major wagon road that ran in front of Adam Livingston's house, one of the earliest things that happened was um, he would get berated constantly by Teamsters that were taking wagon loads of goods. They would stop in front of his house and just lay into him 
because they would see a heavy rope tied between two trees and it would stop them from passing, but none of the Livingstons could see it. <laughs> so they would just get, uh, you know, chewed into day in, day in, day out by these guys and, and there was there was nothing there. But the ghost, uh, the ghost was causing this, these Teamsters to see this, this roadblock on their, their way. See, I was kind of wondering if, I don't know when, like, technically, like, wire itself was invented, but as far as, like, the animals getting decapitated in front of people, um, I almost kind of wonder if there could have been some type of mischief as far as, like, somebody using, like, a wire and wrapping it around something's neck, and then as soon as that owner of that animal came out, then they had two people pull on two opposite ends, and it would look like the head got decapitated right in front of them, but it may have been some type of wire or you know sleight of hand concept like we kind of keep going back to in order to like scare these people or possibly even just kind of throw in one last little punch before the end of slavery maybe but um they would also hear the shears they would hear the clipping they couldn't never they never saw any shears but you could hear it snipping all, all the time yeah like right behind you so it is one of those things where it's it would have had to been a very elaborate ruse um, very well planned out and calculated, um, or it was something that was otherworldly. Um, another option is that it was something like one duck had its head cut off. And then by the time it got to me and Mike, it is, and what he read, it is a lot of ducks with their head cut off. You know, I grew up with a dad who fished and he's like, make sure you hold mm-hmm. the fish really far in front of you, Jess, because then way that, that way that, that, you know, six inch fish looks way bigger. And so, you know, you always want everything to look a lot better when you're telling a story, right? It's all for the story. And so you have to kind of wonder there's def 100%. There's literally no way that obviously what I'm, the story I told, what Mike um, beautifully added on to that I need to, be more specific about in my tour uh, ghost telling of wizard clip, you know, that's not pieced together, right. To form this story. And again, you can read a dozen different retellings of wizard clip and they're all going to have different elements. Right. So like the one that I retold is a very easy one to read that I have from an Appalachian book that I got from a, a national park in West Virginia and it had wizard clip in it. And I was like, this is a great two page telling of the story for me to be able to tell anybody that I meet. But then you get to all the specifics that like Mike has researched and it, the story just keeps getting more and more wild. And that's why I say like, do you want the G version or do you want closer to the R rated version? Cause it just kind of, it spans. We can take things out to get to where the kids can hear it <laughs> and be a part of it. So it is pretty interesting how it, evolved over time and and so even when i gave like my most recent tour i had people add on additional things um nothing too out of the way of what we've already talked about but it is interesting because they're like oh my great grandmother from middleway told it this it was this little bit of difference and i'm like huh how about that because that would have been you know a couple of generations ago, a lot closer to the story than where I am or any of us are right now. And so you have to wonder, cause after over time, you know, telling a story orally definitely can lose a lot of truth to it. So I'm surprised you didn't, my, fa- my favorite story, I don't know if you use this one in your tour, but my favorite story is the, the bully or brave guy from Winchester that wanted to 
show off to his friends and especially his girlfriend. So he took them all there with his rifle because he was going to shoot a ghost, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you got to use rock salt. That's what you learned in Supernatural. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, as soon as he got there, um, he heard this, the shears. They didn't even get, they got onto the property. They didn't get to the house. He heard, heard the shears and uh, his pants fell down. Yeah. <laughs> Except that's what he's been. <laughs> You so know, all the way back to Winchester, holding his trousers up. <laughs> as he should, as he should. There's nothing to show off in front of your girlfriend. You either have her or you don't, right? So, but no, I think one interesting thing that came from a tour was one of the ladies who was there and her family had been here for several generations said that she can believe what she wants to, but whatever you do, whatever she does, she needs to make sure that the Catholic Church still stays in Middleway. Because hmm. as soon as the Catholic Church leaves Middleway, the haunting is going to start again. And that's what her like grandmother told her. So it was like, whatever you do, don't upset, don't upset the ghost. Leave the church alone. It's the only thing that's keeping Middleway safe. Like, oh, that's another layer to it. That's pretty interesting. So they're the only thing holding it back. Yeah, well, we talk on the show a lot about this idea of, you know, the game of telephone through history and through generations. And then also we've been talking a lot lately about kind of this intersection and these type of stories between, you know, something that actually happened and then, you know, how it gets spun historically. And this seems like a perfect example of kind of all those concepts that, you know, it could be possible that, it was based off of something that actually happened or it could be all, you know, kind of fabricated uh, for, you know, religious purposes or whatnot. But I guess kind of uh, before we start wrapping up, I guess kind of the million dollar question is what do you guys think in your opinion, this kind of boils down to, and I know that's an unanswerable question, but uh, I guess kind of what's your thoughts and opinions on what actually happened in this situation? I can go first. Uh, I think what it really boils down to is, you know, like I mentioned a little earlier, I think the Catholic church needed to find a way to get their foot in the door in this community. Right. So in this County, in this area of Appalachia and cause they didn't have a huge footprint at the time. And so what better way than to choose an incredibly metro area for the time to get a story started that really makes you question your current belief system. And I think it definitely took some strategy and planning ahead to make at least some of those things, whatever it boils down to in reality actually happen to scare the Livingston family enough to donate land, convert, and have this wonderful story that then they can share. The Catholic Church has no problem sharing this story, um, as well as any of the passers through, through Middleway at the time, and obviously even still now. And so it's it's a great marketing strategy, I'll tell you that, mm-hmm. for the Catholic Church. It's a fantastic marketing strategy. I'm a little bit jealous. And so... You know, I think at the end of the day, I don't think that the ghost was real. I think that it played on the 
the nerves of the people in this area, especially at the time, you know, they, they certainly believed in um, witchcraft and, you know, something beyond themselves, something bigger than themselves. Right. And that bigger thing can do good or really bad. And you don't want the latter of that. And so I think at the end of the day, it was really the Catholic church who wanted the land and uh, to have a really good story to convert more people. Mm-hmm. I like the way you put that. I, this writing this book, I was um, the first book I wrote, I was really interested in diving into the, finding out the truth behind each piece of folklore. This one, I wasn't so much interested. I was more interested in figuring out um, the social and religious and, historical context in which these legends formed. Um, so basically trying to figure out why people believed something based on the culture and the time. Um, because to me, whether or not, whether or not I believe there was that ghosts are real, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Folks did and they acted on it. Right. Um, Cause this is true history. There really was a Livingston who really donated land to the Catholic church because he believed something. So um, whether or not I believe in ghosts doesn't really matter. Um, just like whether or not you believe that um, you know, spiritual evidence can be used in court anymore. We, I mean, we, don't, we don't believe that anymore, but they definitely did in Salem in 1793, and they killed people over it. So it's history that happened. Um, so I guess I, I, I would probably... Um, I'm just going to not answer that question, because <laughs> really the history is more important to me. I think that's a great answer. You know, we also talk about on the show, I think sometimes people get too caught up in the answers on things and they miss the journey and the magic of it at that point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think that's a great answer, Mike. I guess uh, just as a little extra cherry on top at the end too, uh, I'd like to still hear uh, some of the more recent stuff that you've experienced and heard about Jesse. And then on the other side of it, Mike, uh, I'd like to also hear a little bit more of like the obscure tales that you picked up, such as the one guy that was lucky that there wasn't an extra snip involved after his trousers fell. But I like those kind of off obscure stories. So if you guys want to just a little cherry on top, throw in a little bit more uh, of these encounter stories as far as wizard clip goes. Yeah, I can, I can tell a few. So there's lots of stories of people seeing ghosts walking by windows and that sort of thing. So I got a lot of that. I actually ended up to build up this ghost tour. I interviewed a lot of people who have lived here their entire lives and they told me what their grandparents experienced. I reached out to people who had moved, um, but had lived here and had their family here for several generations. And, um, you know, one of the more interesting stories was actually uh, a gentleman who lives down the street from me. He was a um, in his early twenties at the time. Um, and he was walking down from the church. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, it was for actually from where one of the ministers lived that tried to get into the house and wasn't so lucky. Um, and this gentleman was walking around the corner and then caught behind him, caught in his, in his view that there were two men walking behind him. Very late at night, nothing else really going on. Not necessarily a scenario you want to be in. And so he's kind of looking back and sizing these people up. And he realizes they look uh, very different. And they're actually in um, Civil War soldier outfits. 
And these gentlemen are walking and they actually end up yelling for him to slow down and, you know, basically ask him if the tavern is still open, which was right to his right at the time. And if the tavern's still open, mind you, this place is somewhere is a home now. It's someone's residence. As to the taverns open, which is at the time was the Virginia Inn, and the gentleman ends up saying, I think so. You should try it out. I'm like, Why would you do that to that poor family? But he did that anyways. Um, I did call him out on that and he laughed. He said he didn't like those people at the time anyways. So, um, but uh, anyways, so he keeps walking and he's kind of turning around and look and these people, like these two guys just walk through the fence just walk through the fence where there was originally from what I asked the current owner was where you would actually, she's like, there's a pathway underneath the ground, underneath the soil there that leads right to the, the backside of the, the Virginia end to enter in. So that was a pretty interesting one. Um, so that would have been about 50 years ago that that story happened. Um, but there's lots of really kind of creepy stuff that happened. You know, it's, um, there was a man who would sit at the edge of town, they would say, and he was someone who was hung there. And he would appear to a lot of people when they were traveling through a lot of passerbys, again, very um, transient area. And he would often torment people who were walking by. And so just small stories here and there. I personally um, have tried to not believe in ghosts admittedly and have unfortunately not had a great experience in trying that and have seen in my own home, a very fluffy white cat, which I do not own a white cat, um, go through one specific part of the home, which is actually the dining room of the home, which was built in 1816. And I've seen it about four times since I've lived here going back. And then as soon as I turn in, it's gone. And then I actually um, had a guest staying in my house and we were both sitting in the, the dining room. And this is actually something because I ran a small Airbnb during the pandemic and I didn't really know this person. So it wasn't like we were friends really or anything, but I had made breakfast and we were sitting down talking. And all of a sudden it was like someone was right here and it said um, basically like, good morning, is anyone home? Uh, so, which actually was good day, which would have been much more period at the time. Is any, is anyone home? And me and the person at the time just kind of looked at each other and she was like, we're not talking about this. We're going to eat this before the eggs get cold. And I was like, okay, <laughs> please don't write a bad review for me. <laughs> so, you know, we ended up, um, connecting and I was like hey so let's just talk about that experience I know it was a long time ago but can you like write like tell me what you what you heard and it was pretty much the exact same thing so that was one of those things where it was a little bit too much for me I still love my house and I have very good um vibes as the kid was the kids would say now in my house so I don't feel bad living here or anything or creeped out but you know, I have had people um, who say they're more in touch with the spiritual realm stay in the Airbnb and say they saw a lot of people in the living room when they were um, 
taking a nap in there because I would have this would have been one of the doctor's homes. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I saw a lot of people walking in and out of the house while I was sleeping, and I'm like, interesting. Did you feel okay about it? And he's like, yeah, I actually didn't feel bad about it at all. I'm like, that's <laughs> all that matters. Just, again, good review, please. Compliments <laughs> from the ghosts. But yeah, so that was some of the experiences I've had. A lot of stuff's more just creepy versus paranormal, but. Um, but, you know, honestly, some of the stories do involve uh, the um, enslaved here in Middleway, and it they were not very happy. And so your theory about that, I'm like, well, you know, it it's not definitely out of the out of the way because they were not very happy because you have to remember, we are right close to where um, there were people who believed that slavery was great and other people who thought it was a tragedy and there weren't too many people in between especially in this area so it was definitely one of those um places where people like enslaved wanted their freedom obviously everybody all of all of the enslaved did but it was certainly one of those areas where you'd have one person who believed it and one didn't, and that can cause a lot of friction. So, I mean, I just want to throw in a concept too, about the whole idea between like an intelligent and like a residual haunting. And if you have that much history in that area, I mean, there's a good possibility of the whole residual haunting idea, which is just like replays of things that happened back in the day, but they're not necessarily like intelligent or like interactive, which would be perfect with the two guys that went through the fence or such as the cat in your house. Um, Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, going into the more intelligent side of it, if there is that much uh, slave background to that area, then you do have tortured souls that are in that area. And the tortured souls seem to be a little bit more violent because they have more of the like anger buildup with them. So, I mean, it could be a mix of the two that you have the intelligent hauntings that are getting caused by the slaves in the area. And then you just have the residual hauntings that are left over because of so many people existing and living in this area and possibly doing the same things all the time that it just kind of left like an imprint in time, so to speak. And it's, it's not too often that you kind of hear about places that have like a good solid mix of the two. And it seems like just because of where you where the area falls, you guys have like a good view of a little bit of both for anybody. that's like not familiar with either of those concepts, like middle way would probably be a great place to go to in order to kind of get a feel of both types of hauntings. Yeah, we didn't even get into the fact that there was a Civil War battle there. No, there was. And that's actually where that gentleman, the gentleman was walking, was right where we have several soldiers buried that were never taken back home. So they're buried in relatively shallow graves because they were. it was temporary. A lot of people would um, pass away during battle and they would be buried uh, and then the families would pay to have them um, exhumed and then k- taken back home to be buried. And a lot of the Southern families were destitute by the end of this war. And so from what we can understand, there's we actually thought there's only two, but we just did a, a scan of the ground to find there are more people that are buried there. Um, that were on that are soldiers that we don't know the names of and they were never taken back home. So it is one of those things where it's pretty interesting. And this would have been a place where, you know, when the battle of Antietam happened, we, again, three doctors, that's a pretty big deal back then. That's why I keep mentioning it. It sounds pretty normal nowadays, but that was a pretty big deal back then. And so we actually have a civil war hospital currently getting restored and, 
that was one of the doctor's homes and they ended up taking a lot of soldiers from Antietam, potentially including this, this house right here. So, and <laughs> uh, one of the stories that I've heard is that they actually, and I, I should have peered in the windows today or asked to go in their house, but they may have already been filled in, but apparently there was so much blood from the amputations and people bleeding out from the battle that they had to drill holes into the floor to let the blood flow down into the basement. Talk about cursed land. <laughs> yeah, middle East, great. You should come visit us. <laughs> it's great. Hey, I'm planning Sounds on doing like it next year. Be up there next year again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And she took me on the tour. She showed me like there's still musket holes in some of the buildings. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. excited to go next year. We were definitely planning yeah. Orr and I and going and doing the tour next year, too. Yeah, I will be doing it uh, a ghost tour right around then, especially during October. But um, it is interesting. Uh, Middleway is in many ways just paused in time. And, you know, I know we're wrapping up, but we actually have in the town minutes where they were going to run the railroad through here. Again, it was a huge thoroughfare, right? So it made sense to put it through Middleway and the townspeople said, absolutely not. And they voted against it. And it actually went over to Charlestown where we have this scripted fest. Right. And so Charlestown got the railroad and look at Charlestown bustling. It's, you know, it's lively. They're building it back up, but it's, they have a casino. They have a casino. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. And so, you know, they've done a lot of work to um, definitely revive the town, but it's never been completely dead. And, uh, you know, when towns um, didn't have that railroad going through it, they died a lot earlier than when the railroad basically became, you know, not, wasn't used anymore. Right. And so, we essentially paused in time at that point. We paused in about 1830 and we had a couple new homes being built, but really there wasn't any work here. You would have had to ride your horse anywhere you're going to work. So you're working right here where you lived, right? And so we weren't having people come through because they're going to go where the railroad is. And the town essentially died very quickly after the railroad went to Charlestown. Uh, sounds like it's not a great thing in many ways. It wasn't, I'm sure for the people who had to endure middle way during that period. But to me, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a time capsule. It, you can go here and you can see pretty much exactly what homes looked like in the colonial period for, I mean, definitely well to do, um, people, but not like where you're going to like Williamsburg, Virginia, where they're like the wealthiest gentlemen, of the entire 13 colonies, right? Like you're looking at people who are wealthy, but they're not crazy wealthy. And so it's it's a very interesting take in history. So you're going to walk through here and you're going to see homes where it's just people that are crazy enough like me to try and keep them standing. And you'll see all different types of architecture and stuff, but it's so interesting because it's really just, like I said, it's paused in time and you don't get that in many other places, you know, even down south in Williamsburg, Virginia, you have the threat of hurricanes and all kinds of different natural disasters wanting to tear those buildings down. And they have over the past 100, 200 years, whereas here we're really kind of sheltered from all that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> and so we still have all these buildings standing. Right. And the only ones that we've really lost are due to 
fire, which also happened to the Livingston home. So people who wanted to come visit were are going to be very disappointed to find that it's just a field now. <laughs> and uh, and then really just if something the they didn't fix the roof because everyone everyone knows water will damage a house quicker than anything. And if you didn't, now you do know. So, but yeah, it's really interesting. That's just it's just paused in time. If you want to see what a colonial town would have looked like back then, just imagine dirt and cobblestone roads instead of pavement and you're there. Yeah, I, I, I say in the book and I meant it middle way is a living museum. It's awesome. That just made me even more excited to go see it next year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll have to do a tour. That'd be awesome. I'd love Absolutely. to. Yeah. And a uh, sidebar also, before we end up forgetting about it too, I'd love to hear some more of these stories from you, Mike on your side too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so let me think. Well, I don't try to hide the one thing you know, I talked a little bit about. It didn't matter what I believe. Well, I'm going to say what I believe a little bit here. <laughs> so I think that if there was an exorcism and this stuff was happening, it didn't work. Um, I, as much as the Catholic history has tried to claim that this thing that came later, this separate voice was uh, nice and caring and loving. It did so many horrible things to him that I just, it just doesn't work for me. Um, for instance, one time, um, one harvest season, one of Adam's sons refused to um, to help unless he was paid. He wanted to be paid. And uh, for disobeying his father, the, the voice, the entity um, inflicted a um, swollen infection in his knee and it made him bedridden for a year and a half. Until <laughs> one, one evening, um, the, the voice basically said, okay, you've, you've suffered enough. You're cured. And his knee was better. Um, and then let's see, what else did it do? Um, oh, so there was a woman um, who sent uh, for a, uh, sent a runner for a priest to Midway um, to, um, because she wanted last rites. She wanted a deathbed conversion to Catholicism and last rites. Um, and when the runner finally got to the McCaskey house, the Catholic family that lived there near, near the Livingstons, um, they couldn't find the priest's horse. And they just put it in the small pasture they called the spring pasture. And it was just a few acres, but 30 people looked all over the woods and everything. They couldn't find the priest's horse to, so that it could go ride to Winchester and give this woman her deathbed conversion until finally, um, Mr. McSherry just had one of his horses readied and, and the priest was off. Right. And because of the delay of the delay, the woman died before the priest got there. Well, as soon as the priest was gone out of sight, they heard the priest's horse neighing in the, in the small pasture they had just searched and all, <laughs> and um, the voice uh, told everybody that it made it invisible because um, that woman shouldn't have waited till the last minute. So she went to hell. <laughs> So yeah, this is a loving, caring voice that converted them to yeah. yeah, so. <laughs> Depending on the perspective. Is, yeah. Yeah, my favorite phrase is if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute. Except when something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Except for when you're converting. <laughs> right before your death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that won't that won't work so well in that case. Good grief. Yeah, so for that and many other things it did after the exorcism, I'm pretty sure it wasn't I don't think it was the spirit was exercised. I think it just grew a voice and transformed kind of like uh, if you believe the, the Bell Witch story. So uh, I guess kind of starting to wrap up here, 
Um, of course, you know, you, you do the tours and you do uh, all of your writing and everything. Uh, of course, you guys got to plug your work to make it so that if anybody's in the area, they can come and do the tour or if somebody's interested in getting some of your books, they can pick them up. Uh, so where can everybody come and find you guys on the internet? Where can they find your books and where can they set up to do the tour and everything? Yeah, I'll go first. So um, anybody can find us on Facebook or Instagram. If you type in Middleway Conservancy, you will be able to find us. There's not too many other places named Middleway in the, the U.S., but you can also go to our website to find the story of Wizard Clip if you want to read it or share it. Uh, there's also a walking tour brochure that we have put on the website. You can get it physically here when you come to visit, but you can also get started online if you wanted to walk um, around and see the buildings yourself. Um, and to get to that, it is middlewayconservancy.org. If you're looking for a tour, you can always just message the email that's on the site and that will go to me along with some other board members and I will get that tour scheduled for you. Uh, but you're also welcome to check Eventbrite or Facebook for anything that's actually scheduled. Other than that, I can make a tour happen for you in most cases. But yeah, so we're really just doing a lot. The Conservancy is um, basically in place for the last several decades to keep Middleway um, as nice as possible and looking. And uh, we're in the middle of trying to actually do a grant program, uh, getting that standing up, which is a lot of work. But we're actually trying to help people who are living in Middleway to be able to fix the outside of their homes because again, everyone who lives here is just a little bit crazy because we're trying to fix up 200 plus year old homes. It's nice to know that when you meet a new neighbor, you have at least something in common that you're all just a little bit insane because you took on a huge project. And so no matter what, there's always that commonality between me and other people that live here, but all of that, everything that we do is really just to benefit Middleway we have a, and last thing is we have a middleway day every year. I highly recommend coming. It is something very unusual that you won't find nowadays, which is a village day. That's something that was very common um, a while ago uh, before my time, but we still have one here in middleway where we have people who travel in from all over that lived here to come and see what's going on. And we have vendors and it's a great day for kids and just lots of fun. And we do tours uh, usually I do a ghost tour at uh, night after the event and it's a good time. That's usually the second weekend in October. It's a great time to do creepy stuff. So that's it. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. I don't, I don't do very many events. Matter of fact, I did Middleway day this year and that was a lot of fun, but that was, I think the first event I did this year um, where I met Dave who invited me to his event where I met you guys. So um, this yeah. is, down the chain. That's pretty much all I do. Yeah, it works. <laughs> um, I think the next time I'll be out and about will be Monster Fest next year in, in Canton, Ohio. And, and we'll be there, too. <laughs> we'll be there. Oh, cool. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, something to, uh, I have somebody to hang out with the night before. Um, but yeah, you Absolutely. can find Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, this book, this latest one about the wizard clip, um, for those that are going to see it for Patreon, yeah. Yeah, nice. uh, it's called the Appalachian Legend of the Wizard Clip, America's First Poltergeist. It's by the History Press. You can find it on their uh, website or, um, you know, Barnes and Noble, Target, um, Amazon for sure. I have an Amazon author page there. Um, if uh, other than that, I'm I'm kind of a hermit. <laughs> I do a lot. Of, I have too much work in my day job. <laughs> yeah, I'm working uh, on it a little bit, just pulling them out every once in a while to have some fun. Okay. 
Yeah, I didn't have a chance to pick up the book at uh, the show, but I definitely want to pick it up. I mean, all this stuff is so interesting to me. And like we said, the connections between everything else. So I'm definitely going to be picking up the book. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Highly it recommend it. I know if you like it. Yeah, if anybody, um, the biggest thing you can do to help me is to leave a review on Amazon if you can. That's that's uh, how we get the, uh, the word spread around. And of course, for all yeah. the listeners out there, I'll include all the links down in the show description so everybody can find everything quick and easy. And I definitely recommend getting the book. Everybody definitely recommends it. And uh, of course, don't forget to leave a review and go and check out the conservatory and make it so that everything gets a little bit of a boost and you help to keep all of these uh, stories and legends alive instead of them getting lost in time, which tends to happen way too often. But help, help to keep promoting the folklore, make it so that it stays in the public eye and doesn't get lost through time. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited. That Thank you guys so much. Y'all have been awesome. Um, you yeah. know, honestly, this has been one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. This has been great. So thank you guys so much. It was. Oh, no, thank you. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if anybody leaves a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else, you might be able to do that in the internet. Of course, we will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, if you guys can, at least share the show with friends. It's an awesome way to help the show grow and make it so the algorithms make it so that we pop up for more people. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is with your guys' help. And if you guys do that, we more than appreciate you. And you are part of the Bizarre Crew and part of the Bizarre Family. And as always, hit us up on social media, email, Discord, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. We're easy to find. Do the internet things, guys. Everything we mentioned is all available off of the link tree, down in the show notes, in the show description. And guys, I got to tell you, every single single week, because if I don't, I feel bad, and I want to make sure that you guys are constantly reminded of this, and it's always staying in the forefront of your mind. Always, always stay bizarre. Bizarre, bizarre, bizarre. Flip.